Uh, Thomas More, the great English statesman, said this, we write in the sand the benefits we receive, but injuries upon marble. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting statement. In other words, you know, there's benefits or blessings that we receive in our lives, and it's as if we write those upon sand, but injuries uh, or, or negative things that happen seem to be kind of engraved on our hearts and minds uh, on marble and stick around. So imagine yourself at a beach, and you've write some things in the sand. Well, it's probably not going to stay there very long, and the reason for that is because the waters come up and they wash the words away that are written in the sand. But if something is engraved in marble... Uh, water's not going to wash it away quite so quickly, right? And so Moore's point um, is that, you know, when people, people say things to us, maybe there's a benefit we receive or a criticism, those cutting criticisms that we receive from other people or negative things in general in the world, which he here calls injuries, those things for some reason stick in our hearts and minds a lot longer then maybe encouragements we receive or perceived blessings, whatever they happen to be, those wash away like words on a sandy beach. So think of an example from your own life. So let's say someone who you, you appreciate and you respect them, and they give you a compliment. And uh, that's really nice. Thank you. That's a blessing. Um, you're probably not going to remember that as long as if that same person who you trust gives you a cutting criticism. For some reason, it just stays with us a lot longer. So not only are the things that we you know, come into contact with, with people and people saying certain things to us, we're also highly impressionable as people. And so you know, we live out there in the world and there's all this negativity around us. And there's, there's some good stuff too. But one of the unique things about our time is that we hear about so much junk and negativity and greed and violence and pain and, and war and harsh words on social media and everything else. We, we hear it almost in real time all the time. And so not only are these personal difficult words or things that we learn or what we call injuries come to us, but there's this like, huge kind of cloud of so many problems and challenges and negativity which can encircle us and impact our attitude and our thinking. And so with that in mind, Psalm 103 comes across as a corrective to all of that. When our thinking gets out of whack, and our natural inclination is to let that negativity or those injuries or whatever happens to be shape our attitudes as we live our lives. And so Psalm 103, this is a part of our series on the most famous psalms, and we're going through, and as we go through it, you'll see that there are many famous verses in Psalm 103, but it's specifically written as a corrective to our thinking. It's specifically written to be used by God's people in worship when we are otherwise forgetful. Right? So we're forgetful. We forget about the character of God, who He is, His loving nature, His promises, all His benefits. And all. We are naturally forgetful as people, and it's a way to foreground who God is, His character, His benefits, and His blessings in our lives because we need that corrective to our thinking. And so as we go through Psalm 103, what I'd like us to do is keep a phrase in mind, follow your head. Okay? Now, when we usually hear follow your, we think these days, follow your heart. A lot of people are saying, follow your heart, just do your heart. And before I say what I'm about to say, let me say that um, I don't want to come across as negative, and I know that our heart, which is symbolic of our emotions and our feelings and our instincts, those are very important, and they teach us a lot of things, right? But at the same time, if we just do that uncritically, without thinking, if we follow our heart or follow our emotions or whatever it happens to be, if we do that without thinking critically about what we're doing and why, we're going to be led astray for two main reasons. First of all, we are sinful by nature. 
And so if we're not critically thinking about what our emotions and feelings are and just following them and living by them, we're going to be led astray because we are by nature sinful. Second, we are highly impressionable. We're like sponges out in the world. And so we take in all this junk and negativity and things that people say to us, some of which sticks with us so much longer than other things. And that impacts our hearts, our emotions, our instincts, our feelings. And we will just be kind of led around by those if we let them. And so when I say follow your head, this is an encouragement for us to think critically, who is God, what are his blessings, what's his character, what are his benefits in my life? So we follow our heads insofar as we are thinking clearly about scriptural truths and applying them to our lives. But there's a second meaning to this too. Follow your head. Our head ultimately as members of the body of Christ is Jesus, who is the king and head of the church. So 1 Corinthians 12 talks about us being the body of Christ. He is the head. And so we need to remember that, think of that very practically. The head, that's the, that's the center where all the thinking happens and tells the body parts what to do. And so that is how we are to function as people. Following our hearts somehow negates on a deep level that we are to think clearly about biblical truths and live our lives as a result, and that Jesus is our ultimate head. And so, having said that, as we go through the psalm, my hope is that you do a couple of things. First, consider the benefits of following your head in so much as your thinking is clearly rooted in biblical truth, and also with Christ as our capital H head and secondly, start to think about how you might bend the knee to the Lord with all that is within you. How you might bend the knee to the Lord that is all, that was all, with all that is within you. Now, if I say that and you're like, I don't really know what you're talking about, I think when we unpack verse 1, it's going to be clearer. So let's open our Bibles to Psalm 103 in the Old Testament. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, the subscription says, of David. I think there's no real reason to doubt why this is uh, David as the author. And so uh, we're kind of on the course of history. We're going back like 3,000 years. This is a long time uh, ago. And there's three sections to the psalm. And so in sections uh, 1 to 5, David is preaching to himself, really. In sections five to 6 to 19, he's uh, widening the audience. So he's speaking to God's people in general. And then the last section, verses 20 to 22, he's... Um, expanding the audience even more. He's inviting all, all creation and angels even to bless their creator. And so let's begin with uh, verse 1, and we're going to spend a few more minutes than normal on verse 1 than the rest of the psalm because it is a thematic verse. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Pause. So there's a lot going on here. Right? And as we've often talked about, the theme verse really is usually verse 1, and so much of the rest of the psalm, we're learning stuff, and, and, and the rest of it is unpacking to a degree, verse 1. So it's, bless the Lord, O my soul. So I want to notice that this is the opposite of negative self-talk, right? So we're talking about negativity and positivity, and psychologists will use the word of therapists, negative self-talk, and some of you might know what that is. It's like when bad thoughts come into your mind or bad thoughts about yourself, or you start to dream up worst-case scenarios, and your own brain becomes an echo chamber of all this negativity, Right? most of which is not actually true, that's negative self-talk. Here, David is actually engaging in the opposite of that, which is positive God talk. He's preaching to himself. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He's talking to his own soul. This is kind of weird, but he's preaching at himself and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. So he's preaching at himself. Okay, He wants everything that is within him to bless the Lord. Now, as I was thinking about this, um, I think one of the things that's going on there is this pushes back against external religious ritual. 
right? Because when it comes to faith and our discipleship and our religion, uh, what, what can happen over time sometimes is that we start to just go through the motions and we might come to church and we might say the Lord's Prayer or say grace or whatever, but we're not really meaning it. And I think David is pushing back on this. He's like, no, I want everything that is in the deepest part of my soul, not just to be going through the motions, to be calling on God and blessing him. So recently my family was watching America's Funniest Videos. I didn't know it was still on. It's still on. And uh, doing quite well, apparently. And there was this video, this, this video won a particular award. And uh, Lauren and I, the kids were watching this. We love this. And this family is around the table, and they're saying grace before dinner. And there's a toddler in a chair, and he's also trying to concentrate on the prayer, uh, but he's not having a, you know, a lot of success in terms of staying focused because something else is demanding his attention. Okay, And he used this as an illustration for something. Let's take a look. Lord, we just ask that you bless it to our bodies, Lord, that you... Uh... <clears throat> That we just glorify you in all we do, Lord. That you uh, give, let this meal give us strength and health and not weakness or sickness, Lord. <clears throat> and Lord, we trust you. We love you. We just ask that you bless us, oh God. Bless us. In Jesus' name. Oh, wait. And bless those that don't have a meal, Lord. Please put somebody in their lives to give them a meal, Father. We're so fortunate over here, Lord, and the, the less fortunate, we just ask that you help them. Be with them. Stop laughing. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> super cute, super funny. Now, before, before I sound like I want to, you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about this family. In fact, the opposite. I think it's wonderful. They're saying grace around the table. They're teaching the young people to say grace. It's so wonderful. It's a, it's a cute, funny moment. But as I watched this, I thought that us as adults can sometimes be like that. In the sense that we're going through kind of emotions, you know, he's clasping his hands, but really his attention is somewhere else. His appetite is somewhere else. His desire is somewhere else, right? He's not really focused on the prayer. He's focused on, you know, his mom or his father snapping at him and then kind of getting some of that spaghetti into his mouth. And so I think what's going on here on a deep level on Psalm 103 is that David is saying, hey, I don't want to be that person. I want to be so focused. I don't want to be going through external rituals and not thinking about what I'm doing, which is why he's preaching to his own soul. It's as if he's saying, mean it, do it, be sincere, be the hands and feet. Okay. So the last thing I want to mention about verse 1 is what it means to bless the Lord. Because if we're supposed to bless the Lord, if this is central to the whole psalm, we need to know what does that mean. So there's a bunch of ideas here, next slide, uh, to do with blessing the Lord, okay? So bending the knee before him as our king of grace in an act of praise, allegiance, submission, and gratitude. That's really what it means to bless the Lord. For God to bless us is one thing, but for us to bless God is another. And so when you look up your standard English-Hebrew dictionary, uh, the word bless in Hebrew, barach, uh, can be translated as bless. It's also translated as praise sometimes. And so if you have an NIV Bible, it says praise the Lord. Uh, but really central is this idea of kneeling before God. So how does that fit in? Okay, so we're kneeling or bending the knee before him, God, our king of grace, in an act of praise, allegiance, submission, gratitude. Think of kneeling. So imagine a knight kneeling before his king. Now, why is he kneeling? Well, two main reasons. First, it's an act of allegiance. I am being loyal to you. Second, it's an act of submission. You're the master, I'm the servant. And so this is kind of wrapped up in this idea of what it means to bless the Lord. 
And then praising is also a part of it, and gratitude. So as we do all this, why are we here in the first place? Well, because he's so good as a benevolent creator and savior. He's given us all these things, so of course we are grateful. And so we're keeping this in mind. Blessing God is bending the knee before him as our king of grace in an act of praise, allegiance, submission, and gratitude. With those building blocks, let's continue. Verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And now he's going to list some. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good or good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So these are a lot of incredible blessings that the Lord gives. Now, I want to say a word about verse 3 particularly because some people will look at verse 3 and say, well, it talks about healing all your diseases, and if that doesn't happen in my own specific situation, it must mean that A, God might not be God, or B, maybe I don't believe enough, Um, both of which are false conclusions. Professor Craig Broyles explains, the point of this verse is not to claim that the Lord will heal each disease in every case, but to attribute all such healings to the Lord. And so the idea is that God is good, and he's the great physician, and he is wise, and he is loving, he is almighty. And so he will act according to that wisdom and according to that good time. And so whenever we experience healing, it's by his hand. He is the great physician. But we don't always experience it in this life. Sometimes we experience physical healing, sometimes not. Sometimes not physical healing, but we receive mental, emotional healing. And if we are in Christ and we don't experience it in our days on earth, we will experience it in heaven. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff going on in this verse. But all the times, whenever we experience any blessing, goodness, any healing, it is always at the hand of the Lord. And then verse 5, it talks about your youth being renewed like the eagles, which I love. I love that verse. It's one of my memory verses. Um, I like to recount it when I'm feeling particularly exhausted. Um, So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So the eagle has long been a metaphor for youth and vitality. Uh, Part of the reason for that is because the feathers kind of come out and and an eagle will regrow its feathers. So there's a a certain vitality and newness in that. And also imagine an eagle flying high, like two meters, six feet wingspan, just almost effortlessly, it seems, uh, gliding in and through creation. And so it's an apt metaphor for strength and vitality. Then we start section two. So now all of a sudden the audience of who might bless the Lord and the reasons for doing so is increased. Verse six, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, meaning accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Well, that is very, very good news. Because so often in our actions, it is as if we are metaphorically spitting on God in the face. But God does not deal with us according to our sins. Now, there's interesting something going on here. When he mentions Moses, all of a sudden, this goes out of the theoretical. It comes down to a historical moment. We're reminded of Moses leading the people out of Egypt, out of slavery, towards the promised land, and towards a specific moment in that story. They're at Mount Sinai. Moses is up. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. He comes down. The people have have gone rogue. They have created this golden calf. They are forsaking God. They're sinning. They're worshiping this false idol. 
right? Moses takes the, the tablets, the Ten Commandments, he throws them down, he breaks them, he's so upset. And the Lord gives some punishment to the people. But he does not wipe out the people entirely. And in Exodus 34, when God reveals his character, he specifically says, the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love. So this becomes like a creed that is used several times throughout the scripture. So if that sounds familiar, that's why it keeps coming up time and time again. So here, when David references it in Psalm 103, he's saying, that God who preserved those people despite the horror of that sin continues to be our God, and he is always true to his own character. Verse 11, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So vertical metaphor, verse 11, horizontal metaphor, verse 12, a third in verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. He shows compassion to those who fear him. Now, we all know that you know, every father is, is not ideal. Um, now, there's no perfect human father, but we all know that an ideal father would be one who is a leader, one who provides compassion, passes on wisdom. And Jesus preserves this metaphor, of course, in many places in the New Testament, uh, particularly the Lord's Prayer, right? That's where we see it, the most, our Father who art in heaven. And so this is such beautiful good news because we relate to God not only as subjects to a king of grace, but as uh, children to a compassionate father. Verse 14, for he, God, knows our frame, meaning he knows our limited nature. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. But, and here's the contrast, the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. You heard that when we looked at Psalm 90. From everlasting to everlasting, on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. Verse 19, another famous verse. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And this is a beautiful passage about the kingship, the lordship of God over the entire earth. The key word is all. He rules from his throne of grace. Puritan biblical commentator Matthew Henry says, there is no exempt jurisdiction. There is no exempt jurisdiction. So the Lord is enthroned as king of grace over all jurisdictions, over Canada and Cambodia, over Mexico and Malaysia, over the Bronx, Babbling Brooks, baseball fields. Verse 20, and this is the final section. Bless the Lord, O you his angels! You mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. So hosts is most likely a reference to angel armies here. Uh, sometimes people will look at verse 21 and say, well, this is about ministers like pastors and churches. But although we certainly seek to do God's will, in the context, literally means servants. So in the context, this is probably um, people who are a part of the angelic army. And then, bless the Lord, Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. So in the final crescendo, all creation itself is supposed to uh, worship our creator. And then the final words are the exact same as the first um, part of the psalm, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so we end our close look at the text there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God.
So as we went through, I was inviting you to look at a couple of things. And first, to consider the benefits of following your head insofar as it is centered on the reality of God and his promises. And also our capital H head, as king and head of the church, is Christ. And so Psalm 103 is meant to foreground who God is, his character, his promises, his steadfast love, which endures through all time, from everlasting to everlasting. And it's put there because we are prone to forget that. And when we forget that, things happen. All of a sudden, this negativity and and all the other stuff that has been carved on our hearts and our minds in marble, even though that should be what's written in the sand. What's written in marble on our hearts and minds should be the covenant, the character, the promises of God. And so for us, following our head is about, wait a second, am I just governing my attitudes and my direction in life based on my feelings, which may not be focused on the Lord, Or am I being proactive about what is Christ, what are the promises of God, and living my life as a result in accordance with that? Now, the reason I have the brackets biblical literacy there is because we as God's people need to be so soaked and saturated in the scriptures that this becomes our default way of thinking. Quite often what happens, we live in the world in our default way of thinking because of our sinful nature, because we are so you know, impressionable as people is all this other junk. And then we go to the Bible once in a while for a little bit of help. But wouldn't it be great if the scriptures, the character, the promises, all the blessings and benefits of God, if that was our default mode of thinking? Wouldn't it be great? Well, I think David realized, yeah, it would be great. So I got to create something for God's people for generations to foreground in their minds. This is what reality is. This is who God is. This is the attitude that we can have. And it needs to bring us back to God in those places when we feel dark and lonely and discouraged and wayward. J.A. Packer in his book, Truth and Power, writes, Jesus' disciples must be Scripture's pupils. Jesus' disciples must be Scripture's pupils. And so have you forgotten God's benefits or grace in your life? So David goes out of his way, bang, 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 bang. Look at all these blessings. And sometimes what happens is we just look all, we can just see all the junk and the negative stuff. And so we need to be proactive about thinking, what are all the benefits and blessings that God has put in my life? You need to make a list sometimes, maybe on paper, maybe on an app, maybe just in your mind. Maybe as you're driving in the car, think think of all the blessings and benefits that God has worked into my life. And we need to bring that back top of mind. But it's going to be very hard for us to do that if Scripture is just this dusty book that we never look at. Reading scripture daily, studying it, sitting under biblical preaching, talking about its promises and the character of God with others. The second thing was a question, how might you bend the knee to the Lord with all that is within you? And the reason we say bend the knee, right, because that's closely connected to that Hebrew word barach for bless, to, to kneel, right? So we're acknowledging that our blessing, God, if we are to bless the God as we are invited to do in Psalm 103, that means... Bending the knee to him in an act of praise, submission, allegiance, and gratitude. And so is there a section of our lives where we have yet to bend the knee? Is there a section of our lives where we are kind of excluding God? God, I love you and I like you and I like certain things, but I'm going to keep you out of a certain part of my life. And so when we talk about idolatry, we might not have a golden calf. We might not be at the bottom of Mount Sinai worshiping an image of gold. But when we keep God out of certain parts of our lives, isn't that just a way of kind of making ourselves an idol? I know what's best here, God. Thank you. And again, that's part of our misunderstanding about the character of God. If I want to keep God out of a certain part of my life, 
certain habits, certain relationships, certain decision that is before me. If I want to keep a God out of, part, out of that part, isn't that saying I actually know what's better for that part of my life than God? And that's a symptom of forgetting the character of God. God is loving. He is wise. He is almighty. He is true. He is holy. All those things. And so God's commands and his teachings for us actually improve our lives, not make them worse in all of those areas. And it's an act of faith to do that, but all of a sudden we, we start to conform ourselves to the image of Christ and realize this is actually for our benefit, not for our hurt. As a closing thought, um, I was recently speaking with a friend whose wife had a stroke. And he was telling me about some of that and how difficult that is. And um, one, of the, one of the challenges was that his wife would sometimes have kind of little memory lapses. And so she would forget, like, in the moment, like, what am I doing? Where am I? She would have these little memory lapses. And so what would happen is his words would fill in the blanks in her memory. His words would fill in the blanks of her Honey, this is where we are. This is what we're doing. And the reason I say that is because that's kind of like what Psalm 103 does for us. Its words fill in the blanks of our memory. It helps us remember what is good and the character of God and the blessings of God, which are so many, which is something, my friends, that we desperately need in a world where there's so much junk and negativity. So don't dwell on what has gotten you down. Dwell on what God is doing to raise you up. Insofar as you are centered on those benefits and blessings of God, follow your head insofar it is clearly rooted in scriptural teachings and insofar you are being loyal to the head and king of the church, Jesus. And let your youth be renewed like the eagles. Amen.